well. So I just wanted to make a quick video on Das Kapital. I, at least on what I've read so far, so in my political economy class we are finished reading Marx and even though we spent three weeks on him, I do wish we had a fourth week just continuing to read Das Kapital because it is over 100 pages and it is, I think, the least accessible reading of Marx that I've encountered so far. Um, so this is my first time reading it. He even says in the preface to the French edition, uh, the French were going to publish Das Kapital as a serial, which Marx kind of liked the idea of, but said that because the first chapters are rather arduous, these are his words, um, you know, people might not be able to or might not think that they can continue to read it and might give up. And I do think that that's quite true, at least for me. It is quite technical, even mathematical and scientific, and reminds me of the meticulous nature or the meticulous methods that Adam Smith incorporated in his sort of system of economic theory. Um, but, I did have some insights and honestly my three weeks of reading Marx really made me feel that Marx is maybe as important I think as Plato. So Whitehead said that modern philosophy or philosophy in general um, just consisted of footnotes to Plato and I would advance the idea that all political economy since Marx is footnotes to Marx. Whether you are agreeing or disagreeing, um, proposing a new sort of emphasis or focus, whether you know it or not, I think if you are in the realm of or having a conversation of political economy, Marx is always going to be in the background. So. He said, um, so Marx, just even in, there are some various prefaces to various editions. I wanted to bring out his comment on Hegel because I know that Marx is often sort of said to be relying on Hegel and so I think that what I'm about to say might clear up some confusion if you didn't know exactly how Marx related by he to Hegel or if you thought they were in perfect alignment. So Marx says, my dialectic method is not only different from the Hegelian, but it is its direct opposite. To Hegel, the life process of the human brain, i.e. the process of thinking, which under the name of the idea, he even transforms into an independent subject, is demiurgos of the real world. And the real world is only the external, phenomenal form of the idea. With me, on the contrary, the ideal is nothing else than the material world reflected by the human mind and translated into forms of thought. So basically Marx is making Hegel's ideal one of eminence instead of transcendence. 
So I thought that was interesting because he sees at least his dialectic as in opposition to Hegel. Um, I did make a very short video on this, but one of the first statements that jumped out at me, which is basically the third sentence, I think, of the of Das Kapital. So this is in part one, commodities and money, and chapter one, commodities. And I think that there are around 30 something chapters in Das Kapital. Uh, my, this book that I have doesn't have all of it. Um, I think it has all of volume one. So this quote, a commodity is in the first place an object outside of us, a thing that by its properties satisfies human wants of some sort or another. So uh, what I said in the short video, which so this is going to be a repetition to you, to you if you didn't watch it, but um, if that is true, if a commodity, if what that is, is an object outside of us, in another reading, Mark says that workers become commodities. So that means that we become a thing outside of ourselves, which is just another, you know, way to say that um, capitalism sort of inspires alienation. So in Das Capital, he talks about different values and within the discussing the values, he is focusing on the relationships between them and uh, makes his argument that what a commodity is, is a allows for a corrupt, a corrupted or manipulated relationship between certain kinds of values. So um, he talks about value, like raw value in itself, which I think relates to, um, in classical theory, just the uh, material circumstances of the value, how, you know, the cost of maybe like the raw materials, the cost of paying someone to, you know, craft a product from the raw materials, so the time it takes, etc. And then there's also exchange value, and then there's a use value, and then there is surplus value as well. So, so basically, I think that he is saying that the use value and the exchange value and maybe even value at its core in its essence, you know, talking about all those raw materials, those should be in a more logical alignment. You know, if, you know, depending on how much it actually costs to produce, how much it is worth to people and the value of it in our individual lives concerning utility, like all of those should be in conversation with each other and sort of make sense. 
But under capitalism, because there's a surplus value that is aimed at by capitalists to continue making profit, and that's really their goal. Their goal is not to, the goal of capitalists is unlike the non-capitalist workers, consumers, um, who are working in order to consume. They use their labor power that is a commodity in exchange for other commodities. And we'll get into the particular equation that he comes up with that really helped me understand why under capitalism, not all of us are capitalists, even if we are working and we're exchanging and we're buying, etc. Um, so for the capitalists, the goal is just to have more and more money, which is why inherent in that aim and motivation there is greed. So a commodity specifically, um, and he says that a thing can be, this is still in the same chapter, I think, um, a thing that can be useful and the product of human labor without being a commodity. So there's something special that makes a product a commodity. He says in section two, at first sight, a commodity presents itself to us as a complex of two things, use value and exchange value. And I think he like even complicates that further, but just that I think is helpful. Just to remember that if you ever get um, confused about the terms, you know, what does capital mean? What does a commodity mean to Marx, etc.? Just remember that his focus is relations, relations between the terms. So it's not just what he means by the term, but within the meaning or definition of the term is a relationship to something else that makes it either problematic or his utopic ideal vision. Um, he said that as well, you can have a division of labor. As, well, he contrasts, I think, well, no, he says that, okay, let me just read it actually so I don't mess this up. Um, so he says, division of labor is a necessary condition for the production of commodities, but it does not follow, conversely, that the production of commodities is a necessary condition for the division of labor. He says, in a primitive Indian community, there is a social division of labor without production of commodities. So commodity is a commodity is is a form that products can take on um so back to what i was i think trying to say is that if you have an alignment between the value the use value and exchange value if those all make sense then you don't you aren't likely to have exploitation or maybe even alienation. There might be like some steps between there, but um, 
it's more like what Marx wants. But in a capitalist society where people are just trying to create surplus value and not trying to meet their needs, but take as much as they can from the earth and from people to produce more and more wealth for the end of increasing wealth, then you have a disalignment between the use value and exchange value. To get what you want or need might be so much more expensive because of various circumstances that entrepreneurs are manipulating to increase the profit. And so, or for instance, thinking about labor power as a commodity, you might be spending eight hours, 10 hours, 11 hours a day working, giving all of your time and energy and effort on mundane tasks. And that might actually, you might be producing a lot of value in that time, but you don't own all that value. The surplus value is taken from you. And so what you expend and produce doesn't come back to you in a, in, an, in a real wage. So you get maybe the minimum of what an entrepreneur or a capitalist thinks they can pay you for you to do that work and their, their whole goal is just increasing their wealth. So, so the relationships kind of get mixed up. And he has a really great reading about money and the philosophical manuscripts that I want to get to that says that, you know, capitalism, this drive toward profit for profit's sake, which ends up being very anti-Kantian in terms of of an ethical standpoint because you're you you're using human beings as a means to an end instead of what Kant suggests an end in themselves right you're using them for something instead of honoring them in their human predicament um, so in the in the other essay that I was um, that I want to read eventually in the philosophical manuscripts, he talks about how capitalism sort of corrupts the natural alignment and relationships between things. Like if you he gives this example, like if you are not attractive, but you apply money to yourself in your life so let's say you have a lot of money you become beautiful in the sense that you get the rewards like the social capital the human capital of someone who perhaps is beautiful and the you know rewards that might come from that like the partners that you can you can get so money sort of corrupts the natural way of things right so he also says you know if you're not that intelligent but you have a lot of money you like apply money to it you become smart like so it makes you that it makes us the opposite i guess um which is you know something to say for sure um so the reason that this, I think, is sort of difficult is he is, for instance, he's just 
commenting. He's trying to make his point by, you know, giving lots of examples and putting them into mathematical equations. But one equation I think is uh, really helpful and important. Let me see if I can get to it. Oh, he, section four is the fetishism of commodities and the secret thereof. He says, I think this is really interesting how he talks about just like the mystical quality of a commodity. Maybe I'll read some of this before I go to the equation that helps that helps me understand why we're not all capitalists and what a capitalist actually is. So it says in this section four, a commodity appears at first sight a very trivial thing and easily understood. Its analysis shows that it is in reality a very queer thing abounding in metaphysical subtleties and theological niceties. So when Marx wants to critique something that is and say that it is illogical, he will tie it to metaphysics and theology, you know, as if it's, so he says, um, and this is on my page 320, I'm looking at the Marx Angles Reader 2nd Edition edited by Robert Tucker. That's always what I'm reading from when I'm reading Marx, because that's just what I have. But he says, the, he says there's a mystical character of commodities, and it doesn't originate there just from their use value. Um, he says later on, a commodity is a mysterious thing simply because in it the social character of men's labor appears to them as an objective character stamped upon the product of that labor. Because the relation of the producers to the sum total of their labor is presented to them as a social relation existing not between themselves, but between the products of their labor. This is the reason why the products of labor become commodities, social things whose qualities are at the same time perceptible and imperceptible by the senses. He says, there is a physical relation between physical things, but it is different with commodities. He says, in order to understand this, we must have recourse to the mist enveloped regions of the religious world. He says that fetish Fetishism attaches itself to the products of labor, so soon as they are produced as commodities, and which is therefore inseparable from the production of commodities. So if you think about like what a fetish is, it's an inanimate object that's worshipped for supposed powers. So if you fetishize something, you are superimposing sort of like magical like unnatural kind of elements and powers onto it and so Marx has a problem with this I think it's a really interesting word that he uses um so let me see if I can so so yeah so he says that fetishism is inherent in commodities, which I think would be something really interesting to restore. I think when I continue to read this, I really do want to understand more clearly his definition of capital. And even though, you know, I'm reading, talking a lot about it now, even more about his 
his definition of what a commodity is. There is a book um, um, of, uh, I don't know, I'm stuttering, about dust capital that I really want to get. I can go onto my Amazon really quickly. I just bought so many books, had to buy so many books for my world mythology class, and I think I'm almost done. Um, I just have two more weeks of materials I need to buy, but it's by David Harvey, and he has a companion to Mark's Capital, and I think that would be so helpful. He also has other commentaries as well, but I just think that's after starting to read Dust Capital, and it was probably my most confused and frustrating class that I attended just because, you know, when you think you've, you've understood something and then you like maybe quiz yourself on it or you just realize that you don't know the basic things about it, like how does he define capital, you know? So, and I mean, I guess I can talk about commodities to the extent that I am right now but it's a very superficial understanding on my part so he says that the simplest form of the circulation of commodities so this is in part two of Das Kapital still volume one the transformation of money into capital and it's chapter four the general formula for capital and he says the circulation of commodities is the starting point of capital. So he says that the simplest form of the circulation of commodities is CMC, the transformation of commodities into money and the change of the money back into commodities or selling in order to buy. So that's the first one. Here's the second one. But along side of this form, we find another specifically different form, MCM, the transformation of money into commodities and the change of commodities back again into money or buying in order to sell. Money that circulates in the latter manner, so equation two, is thereby transformed into becomes capital and is already potentially capital. I wonder if I should just continue reading this. I mean, basically, I'll just skip to the to the end. Um, so capitalists are associated with the second equation. So MCM, the money is not necessarily spent in a sense because we just want to spend money. Commodities are, are in there to get more money. And then we read we recirculate it again. Like if we, we're basically investing in order to acquire what I guess becomes capital because capital has something to do with in the ever increasing wealth. So he says that with these circuits basically, he says, what, however, first and foremost distinguishes the circuit CMC from the circuit MCM. So we are CMC because we start with a commodity that might be like our labor power. We get money, which might be a wage. And then we 
spend the money and it's gone because we buy food or we pay rent. So we basically like rebuy our house or our apartment. And then that's kind of the end. And then we do it all again because we have increasing needs. But for the capitalists, if you are a capitalist, you are exceeding your needs. You are meeting your needs, but that's not really the goal of who you are. Who you are is just trying to get more and more money. For just that reason, and Mark says that that's absurd. And it sounds like it the way he talks about it. Honestly, um, so he says, I don't know if I finished reading that. Okay, what however first and foremost most distinguishes the circuit CMC from the circuit MCM is the inverted order of the succession of the two phases. The simple circulation of commodities begins with a sale and ends with a purchase, while the circulation of money as capital begins with a purchase and ends with a sale. In the one case, both the starting point and the goal are commodities. In the other, they are money. So CMC, MCM. In the first form, the movement is brought about by the intervention of money. In the second, that of a commodity. In the circulation CMC, the money is in the end converted into a commodity that serves as a use value. It is spent, spent once for all. In the inverted form, MCM, on the contrary, the buyer lays out money in order that as a seller, he may recover money. By the purchase of his commodity, he throws money into circulation in order to withdraw it again by the sale of the same commodity. He lets the money go, but only with a sly intention of getting it back again. The money, therefore, is not spent, it is merely advanced. And I remember someone I was dating in the past, um, not a great relationship, but he was uh, very into, I guess, trying to become a capitalist. I'll put it in that language now that I'm reading Marx. Um, more, I guess, now that more. Um, you know, he talked about the difference between, and now I don't even know, remember his, he was reading different books. Um, the difference between an asset and, uh, I can't remember what the word for non-assets were, but basically, if it's an asset, I think that's the good one, where you are, let's say you're buying something, but it is an investment. Like, that's why, I guess, rich people buy Chanel bags, because they're not only just buying it and using the bag and, like, it's spent but they're buying it in order maybe to use it a bit, but then resell it for more than it's worth. So it's an asset because it's gonna make you money. So every sort of expenditure that is also making you money is what you need to be focusing on. So like, I guess in his um, sort of rhetoric, poor people who are making bad decisions, who whom Ayn Rand would, um, disparage probably um, are just you know spending their money let's say like on like maybe even useless things at Target um, just, I don't know why I'm using Target I think it was like Target when you go in I don't know it used to um, they used to have like these dollar kind of things and they were just 
I don't know, like kind of silly little toys, sometimes I guess useful, but even if it's useful for you, it's not going to make you money. Something becomes an asset, a capitalist asset, if it can. So maybe, you know, I'm reading Foucault right now. The books that we are reading for this week that I am trying to get is through as much as I can this weekend is Michel Foucault's lectures at the Collège de France in 1878 and 1979, so the birth of biopolitics, and he talks about human capital. And so for instance, like you might, if you are using college in order to get a degree, to become more intelligent, to learn skills that will then make you more money, then you are looking at the university in a very capitalist way, right? But you don't have to, not everything. It's, it depends, it's not the what, but it's the how, right? Um, you could also go to college just for other reasons or not make use of your degree and you just are spending money and it's not gonna make you money. So the key is, does it, are you doing what, doing what you do? to make money, not just to meet your needs and be a consumer, but to recirculate that money to make more and more money without really thinking about like needs that you've met, then that's what makes you a capitalist. So you can decide whether you are a capitalist or not based on what your goal is, you want to make just more and more money and it doesn't matter how much money you make you're not even thinking about consuming or are you by choice or involuntarily working to get money to just spend it once for all in your commodity with that that's not grammatical to spend it once for all via commodities there let's say like that um, I just think this is really fascinating. So the circuit CMC starts with one commodity and finishes with another, which falls out of circulation and into consumption. Consumption, the satisfaction of wants, in one word, use value, is its aim and end. Oh, sorry, end and aim. The circuit MCM, on the contrary, turn page, commences with money and ends with money. Its leading motive and the goal that attracts it is therefore mere exchange value. So I guess commodities and capital and capitalism focus irrationally, I think, because it's not rational to just want to make a never ending pool of money without having necessarily a use for it. Um, is what I think he's saying. So you're focusing on mere exchange value instead of like the utility, which perhaps would make more sense. So it says, he says, um, in the circulation of MCM, so the capitalist equation, at first sight, it appears purposeless because it is tautological. Um, but I guess... Why wouldn't CMC seem like that? Because it also ends up with what it starts. But we, it's a necessary, I guess, um, purposelessness. I remember someone once said to me, um, you know, why do you 
just keep reading books. They don't seem to kind of get you anywhere. And uh, I was just thinking, well, it's not necessarily why I read books. It's the why, then why do you eat? Because uh, it doesn't seem to get you anywhere. You eat breakfast and then you're hungry three hours later and you have to eat again and you're hungry three hours later. And again, like the point of eating is not to just like never need to eat again, right? So, but in a sense, like you could think, going back to Marx, you could think that, you know, what's the purpose if you can't ever reach a conclusion? I don't know. Then it, that might not be helpful, but he was saying it about this equation. Um, he says, both extremes have the same economic form. They are both money and therefore are not qualitatively different use values. For money is but the converted form of commodities in which their particular use values vanish. So basically you're exchanging money for money, he says. And this appears to be an operation just as purposeless as it is absurd. But he says that it is this movement and the movement that he's talking about is MCM, but where M equals M plus an increase. So basically like your your return. The original sum advance plus an increment. This increment or excess over the original value I call surplus value because you're not, a capitalist is not putting money in, investing money in to get the same amount back, right? You're investing money to get a larger return, to get a return, basically. Well, yeah, a larger return than what you put in. So it, he says, Mark says that it is this movement that converts it, money, I guess, into capital. So basically the, you know, the point is we are not capitalists because, or if, even though we participate in the marketplace in exchanges of money and commodities, we're working, we're wage slaves or whatever, the end goal is consumption. We just want to consume it. We want to consume it in our food and our rent and the necessities of life. And you know, you could, what a need is, you know? I mean, I think it's a need to go on a vacation and have some leisure time and invest in your, um, hobbies but not invest it in a capitalist way but you know consume like I'm using invest I think metaphorically here um so I think that you know this is really interesting I mean he also talks about the limits he said this he says that um money ends the let's see where I want to start yeah I think this is good money ends the movement only in the capitalist equation only to begin it again therefore the final result of every separate circuit in which a purchase and consequent sale are completed forms of itself the starting new point of a new circuit the simple circulation of commodities selling in order to buy is a means of carrying out a purpose unconnected with circulation namely the appropriation of use values the satisfactions of wants the circulation of money as capital is, on the other hand, an end in itself, for the expansion of value takes place only within this constantly renewed movement. The circulation of capital, therefore, has no limits. 
And, you know, not having a limit uh, is, is a problem for various reasons, I, I would say. Um, he says that the expansion of value, which is the objective basis or mainspring of the circulation MCM, becomes one's or the capitalist's subjective aim. And it is only insofar as the appropriation of ever more and more wealth in the abstract becomes the sole motive of his operations, that he functions as a capitalist, that is, as capital personified and endowed with a consciousness and a will. Use values must therefore never be looked upon as the real aim of the capitalist. Neither must the profit on any single transaction. The restless, never-ending process of profit-making alone is what he aims at. This boundless greed after riches, this passionate chase after exchange value, is common to the capitalist and the miser. But while the miser is merely a capitalist gone mad, because he's just like saving his money and like, I guess selfishly, um, the capitalist is a rational miser. The never-ending augmentation of exchange value, which the miser strives after by seeking to save his money from circulation, is attained by the more acute capitalist by constantly throwing it afresh into circulation. So that's interesting calling capitalist misers because even though they're you know, because they might say, oh no, I'm being smart, I'm being savvy, look at my return, this is so great. But I think that when you meet someone like that or you see them on social media, like you see them on their YouTube channel talking about how to get rich basically and what they're doing, like you get a miserly kind of energy even though they seem super charismatic and they're out there and they're but they're still like a miser they're just getting more and more money but not really getting any use value out of it um not real use value so uh, let's see he says there's he says capital is money, capital is commodities. In truth, however, value is here the active factor in a process. Um, he just says that overall there's an occult quality of being able to add value to itself. And uh, let me see if there's anything else I want to say. So like I said, I only got to the beginning of, or I don't know if I said this, the beginning of chapter six. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but he starts to talk about, <laughs> he names the capitalist, I guess as Mr. Moneybags. <laughs> I think it's so great. It's so funny. Um, he says, our friend Moneybags, and he, he keeps up that uh, name, and I think it's that's hilarious. So, so yeah, so I definitely want to, at some point, read the rest of this, because there's quite a lot, but again, you know, I'm I'm seeing like one and two third pounds of cotton into one and two third pounds of yarn. And it's not like it's super, I don't know, 
mathematically challenging. Like I see what he's doing, but it's not, I think, as fast paced as some of his other works. So kudos to you if you've read Das Kapital and made it through it. I think, I don't know when again, like I'm gonna do that, but I will definitely buy a commentary um, because my brain needs it. But still, I feel like as much as I didn't get it, I still got something out of it. So that I still kept you here for 40 minutes. So sorry about that. All right, um, thank you so much. Uh, next time, I think actually I intended to fin to read more of the philosophical manuscripts. If I said that in the beginning of the uh, the lecture, I'm sorry because that's not what I did. 